the denomination I grew up in was in many ways the British version of the Church of Christ. I, I grew up Plymouth Brethren, and they, same decade, everything. Yeah. Restorationist, uh, I mean, uh, non-instrumental. I mean, the similarities are really quite fascinating. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, growing up multi-generational, and then I went to a Church of Christ school. I used to say that the best analogy for it is like a very old dog. Have you ever had like a really old dog? Yeah. Or a really old cat and it's like opens its mouth and just smells bad and it's like blind <laughs> and it walks sideways but when you look at that dog it's your dog you grew up with it you know the whole history right and so the faults are are apparent and you maybe like when a friend comes over they're like oh my goodness what's wrong with your dog but you're like what do you mean what's wrong like i love my dog it's you know it's my dog so that's kind of how i feel I, I get it. it. I get it. I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire, a podcast for Christians who are rethinking their faith and need a safe place to doubt. As we wander through the spiritual wilderness, we want to find and follow God wherever the pillar of fire leads. And just like God's people in the Bible, we get lost, we miss the point, and we don't have all the answers. But maybe that's okay. We're on this journey together. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Even on my heart Can't compare with what well, I'm really very excited about our guest today. We are talking with Mr. Brian McLaren himself. Brian's an author of many books, a speaker, an activist, and a theologian who's passionate advocate of a new kind of Christianity. Brian, obviously there's a large in-depth bio on your website, brianmclaren.net, but I was wondering if you kind of briefly just introduce yourself and how would you describe yourself? Um, so first, it's really a pleasure to be here with you guys. I uh, was born in upstate New York, uh, spent most of my life in Maryland, and then for the last, uh, I don't know how many years now, 16 years, uh, I've or 14 years, I've lived in uh, Southwest Florida. Uh, I am married. My wife's name is Grace. We have four children in their 30s and 40s and five grandkids. And uh, I started my career as a, a college English teacher, never really planned on going into any kind of ministry related thing until I ended up helping start a little uh, experimental faith community and then left teaching to be the pastor of that uh, church and, and pastored there for 24 years. And uh, while I was a pastor, I've always struggled with religion. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I love being a pastor, but I also felt uh, I, I was always having to apologize for a lot of things and try to clean up a lot of messes. And, uh, uh, and I started writing books about that. And so for uh, the, the last uh, chapter of my life, I've been a writer and public speaker, and I have a lot of causes I'm committed to. And uh, yeah, so that's that's a, a short overview. Thank you. Um, so the, the first time I came across your work uh, was near the beginning of the life of this podcast, actually, last year. When Nathan and I took an online, we found like this kind of silly online, what kind of Christian are you quiz? <laughs> and it pegged us both as, quote, Brian McLaren Christians. <laughs> Which I'm sure you love. <laughs> I never, I never heard of that survey. I wonder if I would qualify. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to find an incentive. And, and my first thought was, I don't think I was allowed to read Brian McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
That's right. This is totally by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I was, I think I was so deep into like conservative Church of Christ land, I hadn't honestly ever heard of you before that I can think of, um, which I guess maybe is a good or bad thing. I'm not sure. But, um, and when I said that on the podcast, like I had several listeners message me privately, like, what do you mean you haven't read his, one of his books? <laughs> so, so I dutifully went out and got your most recent one at the time, which was Faith After Doubt. Mm, great. And I got to say, it absolutely blew my mind and it helped wow. me put it, the structure that you had in that helped me so much to understand where I was and where my family was, honestly, because mm. the, con the I am nowhere near where my family is. They're um, still very much, I would say, stage one, yes. which like you said in, in the book, it's not better or worse. It's just different. Just different. Yeah. Um, so the, And so it helped me understand the process and the, the that I went through. Yeah. Um, but it, it changed my, it changed me in some very important ways. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd never, honestly, never come across this beautiful open vision of faith that you describe, mm. especially in like around like stage four stuff. And we did a, a book club podcast episode about that book a while oh, at the end of last year. Mm. Um, and how you talk about expressing, just expressing our faith and love. And I just absolutely yes. love that. So thank you for that. But um, the sheer openness of that vision of faith kind of got me wondering, honestly, like, should I stay a Christian? Does it yeah. even matter? And lo and behold, <laughs> I see that you. I saw that you announced that you're writing a follow-up book, um, which we're, what we're here to talk about today releases May 24th, entitled "Do I Stay Christian?" In which you both frustratingly both answer and do not answer that question. <laughs> uh, frustratingly for the ones who us who want an answer, right? And first of all, I absolutely devoured this book. Uh, although I will admit, it took me a long time to get around to reading it mm. because I was afraid. Mm. of what I was going to find. Yeah. But once I started, I, I just, I loved it. Um, so thanks for all you're doing and all the work and writing this and uh, to sh kind of, in a way, shepherd us into a new kind of Christianity. Well, Steve, and thanks for, thanks for saying that. And thanks for telling me it was scary because I think that's important for me to feel and really everybody to feel this issue of religious identity is a really big deal. And, and obviously we feel that you and you know, the three of us grew up in conservative neighborhoods of Christianity, mm -hmm. but our Muslim friends and Jewish friends and Buddhist and, and atheist friends, everybody inherits something. And yeah. then they get to an age and they have to say, does this still fit? Is this really me? What's this doing to me? What am I contributing to? And it's complicated and tricky and, uh, so, yeah, thanks for that reminder. Yeah, and to give a quick overview of the book before we get to, into discussing it, discussing it, there's it's, you have it in three parts. Obviously, the question of the book is, do I stay Christian? And part one answers the question with a no and reasons why. Um, and then part two answers it yes and reasons why. And part three discusses, kind of regardless of your previous answer, how do we live with that and through that choice? Yeah. And uh, I, I really liked that. And I especially loved part three. I just, I was no, reading I'm that the other, like... the other day I was reading it and I'm, my wife was out in the garden and I walked outside and I said, part three is the book. <laughs> 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 like, that's it. It's the book. Um, so I kind of want to walk through those sections a little bit today and uh, kind of hit the highlights and uh, takeaways that we had. 
But first, I'm, I'm kind of curious, was it always a planned up, planned follow-up to Faith After Doubt? Yeah, I actually thought of the two books together. And, and it's exactly for the reason you said, Steve. In fact, what you said really uh, sort of resonated. Um, when I was planning out Faith After Doubt, the thing I knew is that for a lot of people, when they get to, well, I can say it this way. There are lots and lots of churches that help people in stage one. Um, and there are more and more churches that help people in stage two. In fact, I think the mega church phenomenon is a stage two phenomenon. Um, but when you go beyond stage two, it is very hard to find a church that, that is a home for you. Uh, and when you're deep in stage three, you feel very alone, I think. And even for people when they enter into stage four, it's very hard to find a faith community that welcomes you. And you start to wonder, do I even need this Christian label anymore? And part of that is because of just the status of things at this historical moment. And part of it is probably a natural part of what it means to be in that stage four. So I really did plan uh, the, the two books really developed at the same time. But the other thing that happened is that in the years since I started planning these two books, you know, I think we've just seen something accelerating of Christians of all different stripes doing more and more obnoxious things that make it harder <laughs> and harder for people to, uh, of conscience to say, do I really want to be part of this? Maybe the brand is permanently ruined. <laughs> Maybe the religion is, is unsalvageable. So, uh, and I just think more and more of us are struggling with those kinds of questions. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one, one thing that kind of has kicked off what we're, we're hearing all around is the deconstruction movement yeah. or whatever movement or not, whatever we want to call it, is that there has been seemingly this uptick in at least public, like um, obnoxious things <laughs> that they're yes. doing. Yeah. Um, because I, I, that's honestly one reason that I kind of started relooking at things. I'm like, well, if, if the people I thought were telling me to do the right thing are supporting the wrong thing, yeah. what else have I gotten wrong? Yeah. And taking a new look at things. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I hear people say this about their political party and their religion. They say, it's not that I left, it's that my tradition left me. Well, I think, I think it's probably both in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. I'm changing and my tradition is changing and the gap between us is getting greater. So it, of course, these, these questions will, will be asked. And, and I think because, as you said, they're scary to ask. I think a lot of people ask them and they never say it out loud. They ask it privately or they might say it to their one closest friend. But I think as more and more people start saying, I'm in this camp, I'm in this mm. situation, I'm uh, deconstructing, however they say it, other people say, oh, good, I thought I was the only one. And then the more people are public about it, I think the less scary it becomes. Yeah. Yeah, I, f I feel like... The in your, in your previous book, you had said there's not the churches for these people. You know, there aren't, yeah. there's not preschools for, you know, stage three children or something. <laughs> yeah. And I, one thing I really appreciated because I am a very skeptical person and especially in this, you know, deep in stage three, I'm just nervous and, yeah. you know, tra traumatized a little bit. And I, in yes. the, a church that I've been like cautiously, but intentionally, infrequently and erratically visiting because of this, I, I've even had to, to say like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm just like trying to like even see how this fits and yeah. don't take it personally. I, like I appreciate this community and I'm trying to see how this works. Um, 
all that all that to say this book do i stay christian if i just came across it in a let's say a church library i would be deeply deeply skeptical like what's yeah. what's your angle here you know what's yeah. the what's the gimmick what's the trick um where are you leading me yeah and i i don't think you're leading me anywhere mm. or at least you're uh where you're trying to lead me you're you're it's not you know, here's here's the ten reasons why God exists, or yeah. here are the ten worst things about Christianity. It's it's okay to say these things out loud and to look at them and face them, but it does matter maybe how you do it. Mm. Yeah, I well, I'm I'm glad you felt that way, Nate, because I have to admit, I I mean, it's hard to come up with a title. I, it, people have reasons to be skeptical and assume the worst about any religious book. And I think a lot of people would read Do I Stay Christian? And they would think, oh gosh, he's going to bait me along and then tell me, so you have to stay a Christian or you're going <laughs> to hell or you have to stay a Christian or I'm proving that you're illogical and self-centered. And yeah. oh gosh, we don't need that. And and the truth is, uh, especially you know, because I'm a writer and because I get out and do a lot of public speaking or even during COVID, I spend a lot of Zoom time. Um, I have so many people tell me their stories and look, people are being hurt by churches in such deep, far reaching ways. Those churches do not deserve to have these people stay until Mm. they really have a searching and fearless moral inventory about the harm they've done. So I am not in the mode of wanting to persuade people that they have an obligation to stay associated with Christianity. If you want to use biblical terms for it, Jesus said, by, their tr- by the fruits, you shall know the tree. And yeah. the, the fruits of this religion right now are so mixed. There are wonderful people doing beautiful, gorgeous, fantastic healing things. And there are people creating such harm with such arrogance and such carelessness that, uh, that you know, uh, so my, my desire is to help people in this predicament because I've lived most of my life in this predicament my, myself. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's, let's start going into part one, just a little bit. The, uh, the answer of no yeah. the, the reasons to not be a Christian. Um, just high level like, reading through this section was kind of depressing. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, it's, that's kind of the idea, I guess in a way, but, um, like toxic theology, um, the, the, lack of transformation, anti-Semitism, violence. I mean, all things that are, yeah, it's like reading them. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, you're right. And, you know, part of me is like, well, but, but I wasn't there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, not my kind of Christianity. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that you get that kind of re- response on this kind of topic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, thank God if people can say not my kind of Christianity, but it's hard for me to find those kinds of Christianity, <laughs> yeah. um, especially when you look back in history, you know, here, especially here in America. Like mm-hmm. if you want to go back and say, is there a denomination that you could say really took the moral high ground in the years of slavery? Um, the only one you might say is the Quakers, but even they only got there after having a split. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then almost every denomination uh, major denomination ended up having a split over slavery, and then after the Civil War, they re many of them reconnected without ever 
dealing with the underlying causes. Like, how did people read the Bible in a way that let them justify slavery? We better make sure we don't read the Bible that way anymore. But really, zero, zero uh, denominations had serious conversations on that level. You know, what was our view of God that made us think that white people had the right to uh, steal the lands of of, uh, indigenous people and enslave and torture? And we won't even go into all uh, what they did to the bodies of black people. And then you think, yeah, no discussion about that. It was just, we'll get back together. And so it's, uh, it's pretty hard it's pretty hard historically to find any group whose hands are clean. And that's part of the point that I hope people have at the end of the, uh, of that section. I don't want them to feel like, Oh, we found the one pure form of Christianity. I, I hope what people feel is every part of Christianity has been tainted. And so we have to be humble uh, and we have to learn some lessons from our past. What, whatever, wherever we locate ourselves. Man, the I, I before I dove into the book, I wrote down my reasons just because I wanted to yes. compare notes. And the the biggest one I had, and I'm I'm sure many people would have for no, is the is bad fruit, yes. which is just what you said. Yeah. Jesus gave us the standard Himself. You know, test the fruit, and you know, I look around and where's the where's the difference, right? Where yeah. where's the Pew Research difference? But you know, in <laughs> you know. Uh, Divorces or something, right? Something yeah. I can measure and and see in a community in an institution that that happened. Um, but a, maybe the biggest thing that jumped out to me was this idea that I have just in my DNA, which is that Christianity is about beliefs and correct yeah. beliefs. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And you you said Christianity started as a way of life. Yeah. Not a, not a belief system as a as a way of living. Yeah. And. I can't even get myself out of that paradigm often. Yes, yes. Like I can see how I can even see, man, I, I thought all these beliefs were Christianity and I, all I want to do is just change my beliefs yes. to different ones. Yeah. 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 It's like we, we, and we had, this isn't our fault, but we came along after there'd been a 500 year argument. And the first argument <laughs> was between Protestants and Catholics. And in a mm-hmm. certain sense, Catholics said, we have the right authoritative structure. We have the right authoritative hierarchy. And Protestants couldn't compete on that uh, level. So they said, no, we have the correct beliefs derived from Scripture. So that argument goes on for 100 years. And then Catholics, in a sense, capitulate. And they, there was something called the Council of Trent, where they re-clarified their beliefs. So then now both Catholics and Protestants are arguing— <laughs> on the basis of beliefs. And then Protestants start arguing with each other. We Lutherans have the correct beliefs. No, we Methodists have the, no, we Church of Christ have the correct beliefs. And (laughs) the irony is when you argue about who has the correct beliefs for 500 years without realizing it, you burn like a brand into your skin, you know, the assumption that having the correct beliefs is the most important thing. And you don't even know that that's your most deeply held (laughs) assumption. So it is so deeply held. but And you just realize what this has meant is that we can certify people as bona fide Orthodox Christians by whatever our definition is, and they can be scoundrels, mm-hmm. uh, as many scandals, uh, recent scandals are, keep, keep pointing out to us. 
Yeah, there's a great, uh, great Frederick Douglass quote that you point to basically saying that exact thing. Like, the, a religion that welcomes all these people, you know, you can hold all these beliefs and keep slaves oppressed and, you know, elevate the rich above the poor. Yeah. Yeah. And the, <laughs> I also want to, there's a lot of like nuclear holocaust in here as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, where are we headed is, is mm, pretty yeah. bleak yeah. if the same institutions and power structures are in charge and bow to the same constant Constantine's uh, conflating a cross with a sword. So, so you know, one way to you could imagine Jesus being on the scene and saying, "What does it profit a, a church to have the correct doctrine of baptism and lead the world to nuclear holocaust?" Oh man! <laughs> you know, what does it profit for a religion to be energized about abortion? Uh, to strain out abortion and swallow racism, anti-Semitism, and ecological destruction. I mean, it's just so easy, you know, to to take Jesus' words and and turn them on this whole religious industrial complex that we've created. So why people feel frustrated, I would just say, is because they have a brain and and everyone <laughs> has a good reason and and they have a conscience, and and so we yeah. have good reason. Uh, to be frustrated. And, and the people who say, oh, we don't get involved in politics, you know, well, in some ways that becomes even more frustrating because, you know, people just got shot for the crime of having black skin. And, uh, and, and if people want to say, yeah, I don't get involved in politics, you know, then what, what I'm, I want to say is, well, you ought to get involved in politics to be sure that your neighbors don't get shot. Yeah, and it kind of also comes back to the um, you mentioned um, we're stuck. We're so many, so many of us are stuck on this concept of like the ghost in the machine. Like we're just yes. the spirits in the in these flesh suits. Yes. Um, and that's kind of how I was raised, more or less. Yes. As yes, far as like, too. yeah. Well, you know, this we want it to be nice here on Earth, but really, what matters is heaven. You know, let's yes. let's plan for that. If things fall apart here, it's, you know, bummer. But hey, we're going to heaven. And that, that misses so much of like everything that, that could be done here or needs to be done. You know, you, you're probably in the same situation I am in that I did not grow up having memorized the Lord's Prayer and reciting it every Sunday. We didn't believe in uh, in reciting prayers, even if Jesus taught them. It was too but Catholic. It was too Catholic. <laughs> but when I, I noticed that in the Lord's Prayer, it, it was wrong. It should have said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May we come to your kingdom when we mm. die, where <laughs> your will is done, unlike on this lost and hopeless earth. But that's oh, not wow. what it said. It, 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 it was the prayer about God's kingdom coming here and God's will being done here on earth. And, and as you say, our version of the gospel didn't really give a rip about the earth. All that mattered mm -hmm. was our souls in, in heaven. And, I remember as that started to sink in and I'd been a pastor for like 15 years when I realized that. So <laughs> I was like, Oh no, I hope I'm not wrong about this. Cause I've got to rethink everything. If that's yeah. the case. I think that that might even be the fulcrum for where the frustration starts. It's, it's where people start to see Jesus and compare it to just the, the my priorities in the life that I'm living yeah. and see that space, yeah. that the difference and a lot of these, a lot of these questions are for the people who earnestly believe this, and see these problems, 
Yeah. And we're just not talk like nowhere else are we like you're not going to talk about this in the in the pew or yeah. It's it's kind of hard to say this collectively as Christians. Yes. I don't I don't really know why. That's the thing I'm thirsty for is the is the community that can face this stuff without the fear that I kind of have to yeah. to lose something or to break it or, or fall apart yeah. or not look good enough. Yeah, you know, and I suppose I, I don't even think I fully realized this as I was writing the book, but I, I feel it very much now that it's about to, you know, be unleashed on the world. I, I think one of my major motivations in this is if people say, yes, I do want to stay Christian, I feel they better have their eyes open to mm. what that has meant in our past and what it means to a lot of people now. Because not only will they, they then say, I know what I'm for and I know what I'm committed to, but they'll have to also have to say, I understand the negative history that I am taking on a responsibility to turn around and acknowledge yeah. and and make sure isn't repeated. And I suppose this is why I I know those first 10 chapters are are painful for a lot of people to read. I, like, I think a lot of people are going to have to just, I, I mean, I hope it's well written enough that it, it keeps their attention and makes them feel they need to keep reading. But I'm also aware that people could just say, gosh, I don't want to hear any more bad news. I already have enough bad news about Christianity. Yeah. I, I feel like, if if someone is going to maintain the benefits of being part of this religious community, they better also have their eyes open about the costs and mm. uh, and they better take on the responsibility for making the future be better than the past. Um, and, and you know what? Something similar happens, I think, when you find out about American history and you say, okay, I'm an American. We have this history I didn't create the history, but now I've learned about it. What am I going to do about it? Which, of course, you know, I I live in Florida, and you then you realize why governors like my governor are keeping students from being taught history. It's because mm. they 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 profit by keeping the the secrets hidden and keeping people ignorant. It's, it's so interesting. That's such a great framework because there's a huge difference between someone saying, "I'm proud to be an American." We're number one without like, I've never been anywhere else or I, I have no idea, who, you know, I'm, and the way I express it is by saying we shouldn't talk about the negative stuff in our history because I'm proud to be an American, but going through all of that and understanding our place in the world with humility and then saying, do you know what? I'm, I'm still proud to be an American is a conclusion you can come up to, but it's yes. a very different place. Like it's the same sentence. I'm yes. a Christian, but in fact, imagine if we really did a sober engagement with our racial history. Mm. Um, and that's not our only problem in America. We have a pretty ugly ecological history and a pretty yeah. terrible history of wealth and poverty. But let's just say we we did a, a a pretty thorough engagement with our racial history so that this is something that every children, every child in the future learns about our history. And then we could say, I'm really proud of the way our country has faced our racial history and learned from it and determined how to have real liberty and justice for all, not just straight white Christian rich landowning men. Oh my gosh, that would be something to be genuinely proud of in a, in a but but the interesting thing about the pride is it wouldn't be we're better than everybody else. It would be we've done some worse things than anybody else, but at least we faced them and tried 
to learn from them. That's a very different kind of pride, as you say. Right. It's yeah. it's a, a it's very different pride than someone who's who is either misinformed or willfully ignorant or yeah, I don't know which is worse. Yeah, when I uh honestly when I read finished reading the first section, uh I you had convinced me to not be a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm walking away because it's a little bit like you were just saying, like, I, I didn't want to, like, it was so bad. I didn't yeah. want to, I, I didn't want to be associated with that anymore. I thought yeah. if I just stop and walk away, then I don't have to worry about it. Not my problem. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I'm glad that you continued on to the second section yeah. <laughs> about uh, why we should stay. Mm. And again, after the, the first section, it was it was a little bit hard for me to get into the second section just because I'm like, okay, he better have some really good reasons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, once again, it wasn't your purpose to convince one way or the other, but, uh, you know, that's what the, my thought process anyway. Yeah, I something I couldn't do in the interest of honesty is I can't say, oh, those first 10 chapters aren't that bad. I don't think anybody can say that. They are yeah. that bad. They are really serious. Um, but I think if you don't minimize the seriousness but but you you just dwell with it and 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 feel it i think other realizations begin to hit you like for example you realize well yeah the christian faith is has really made all of these mistakes and i guess if i just become an atheist everything will be fixed but then you say let me study the history of atheism and then you <laughs> learn about the paul pot regime and or you learn about stalin and, and suddenly mm-hmm. you say, well, I guess there's not safety there. Uh, and, and then you start to realize these are problems that human beings with power repeatedly uh, perform. Then, uh, then it makes you think, oh, shoot, there is no escape. I'm a human being, and I'm going to have to deal with my humanity. And so is every other human being. And that's what I think brings me to that third part of the book, that uh, whether or not you stay Christian, you have to deal with the realities of being human. <laughs> and when you look at the challenge of being human in that light, I think it can help you see there is a way to be Christian that could make a positive contribution to the problem of being human. <laughs> yeah, it's like chapter 13 is entitled, Because Where Else Would I Go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like like you said, it, anywhere else you go, the, there's still people, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. We, if you if you leave the world of Christianity, you still need to have a community because we're community people. Yeah, and any community that you attach yourself to, it's going to have, it's going to have problems. And, and there's a word for someone who will not attach himself to any community because every community is beneath the dignity of his ego, and that's called a misanthrope. It's someone who hates everybody. And, and <laughs> yeah. feels superior to everybody. And that's not particularly a club I'd like to join either. No. <laughs> so, so yeah. But, you know, there's a process where you have to get there and feel that, that because it has its effect on you. And so I, I, there's a certain sense, I, I'm hoping that in the experience of reading the book, it will help people to be in those places and feel those feelings and not just try to rush through to a, to a solution. Yeah, right. You encourage us to go on a couple of walks and take a sip of coffee, which was much, yeah. much needed. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it is so foundational and close to our existence, our identities and our, yeah. who we are. Yeah. Um, 
I love the, I wrote down my reasons again for, you know, why would I stay? Why would I leave? Um, and man, the two hit me. One was Jesus. That that's yeah. the, the biggest answer for me is the, the person and the, the idea and the example of Jesus is extremely, extremely, um, compelling for me. I also like the, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm flipping through. Uh, the other thing that I, I had committed to, um, and then I, I wimped out was, uh, you don't just have to leave loudly and angrily or stay complicitly. Uh, you can stay defiantly. Yeah. And for, for a moment I had, I had found myself in a situation where I thought I had a, uh, maybe a responsibility to stay in a particular congregation Mm. because, you know, if, if I leave, then I'm just concentrating the the problem yes. not that i was the antidote or anything but yeah. then i thought how obnoxious would that be for me to have the mission to like be the thorn in the side of the, the <laughs> yes. congregation that I, I stay in so it, uh it's also a very man what a difficult calling to be you know the i guess this this is the life jesus lived but the, the one that doesn't really make anyone happy with yeah with his uh his choices and makes people uncomfortable yeah, I, I actually had to write an appendix at the end of the book about staying in my denomination because I think it's a related question, and yeah. I don't think there's I don't think there is an answer, uh, a right or wrong answer for that, and I don't think there's a, even a right or wrong answer for different people. I think there's different answers for different people at different times. In fact, I, I heard a definition of a prophet some years ago that really has stayed with me. A prophet is a person who speaks a needed truth in the process of being excluded or killed. (laughs) (laughs) But what it sort of says is that there are very few people who are career prophets (laughs) because if you speak the truth that needs to be said, you very often have a limited shelf life in that community. (laughs) Um, Oh man. It's so, it's so hard to, I I found myself at the end of um, your last book thinking about this because I speak the language of my tradition, of my denomination, yes. and yes. of Christianity. Yes. And so where am I the most impactful? Where, where can I learn or teach or even engage in community? And that is right there where yes. where my roots are, where I, you know, I, I speak the language. Yes. You know, I have two different friends. Uh, one was, uh, one was Muslim. And uh, what was my, the other one's religion? Uh, he was Christian and they both had a meeting with the Dalai Lama and they both told the Dalai Lama, I want to become Buddhist. And, (laughs) and uh, to one of them, the Dalai Lama said, why do you want to become Buddhist? And he said, well, because Buddhism is the religion of compassion. Mm. And the Dalai Lama said, look, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist, so I can't help you because you're not Tibetan. And besides, if you were born Muslim, we need more compassionate Muslims. Please stay Muslim and practice <laughs> compassion there. Uh, please don't become a, a, a Buddhist. We need you to, to to practice compassion. And you know, I, the language I might use is: I really think Jesus had the, the path of love and the path of compassion and the path of of transformation. And uh, I think if I were to meet with the Dalai Lama, he'd say to me, "Please." 
stay and practice the the path of Jesus in Christianity, no matter how hard it might be. And uh, and if people kick you out and ask you to leave, well, what, isn't it interesting that in the Gospels Jesus deals with exactly this? You know, dust, shake the dust off your feet and move mm-hmm. on. You know, it's <laughs> it's okay. And and don't tell them you stupid, ignorant. You know, tell them, well, the kingdom of God has come close to you too, and you just move on. You, you send, you leave with a blessing. Uh, and when you know you're not wanted anymore, but while you're still there, you have work to do. And, uh, and, and you know what, that's true wherever you are. So how do you, how can we do that good work wherever we are? Yeah. When, uh, in your book, you mentioned how I think the line was, if you could, if you leave Christianity, you're leaving it to somebody and what, how are they going to handle it? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know? And that's yeah. not necessarily a good idea. Before we move on to part three, I, I, when I got to the Fermi Paradox and the Great Filter yes. chapter, I thought, oh, he's going to talk about aliens now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, that, that was a very interesting way to, to look at things. But so moving on to the how in the last few minutes that we have, the, like I mentioned earlier, I, to me, this is like the, the meat of the book. Mm. Like the first two sections are fantastic, but when you're going through a list of reasons, it's kind of jumping from one thing to the next and this this whole this whole third section just really spoke to my heart in a lot of ways and i so you start out by kind of re describing the stages of faith that you talked about in faith after doubt yes and uh, i really like this chart the the table that you have put together that's really helpful mm-hmm. but talk about how you know for especially for those who haven't read it cuz this podcast is coming out the day after your after your book releases, regardless of how you answer the, the question of the book, do I say Christian, how does one proceed from that point? Well, the thing I felt very much at the end of part two is I just thought, thought look, some people are going to stay Christian. Um, some people are not going to stay mm-hmm. Christian. That doesn't solve all of our problems once they figure that out, yeah. because we're in a mess. That's what that chapter about the Fermi's paradox and, uh, and the great filter is about, we are in a existential threat as a yeah. human species and we're the threat. We're the threat to ourselves. And, uh, so what I wanted to do is say, what are the elements of our humanity that we really have to grapple with going forward? And, and I, I think if we grapple with these in the Christian faith, it will help us have a positive influence in the Christian faith. And if we grapple with them outside the Christian faith, it will have a positive added, uh, uh, impact there. So the first one is to pay attention to our own continuing development. Like once you answer the question for now, at any rate, will I stay Christian? It doesn't solve the problem that you have to live the next day and continue growing. What yeah. are you going to become? And then, okay, if I want to become a better person, what do I do in the next chapter? I wanted to deal with what I think is maybe at the core of religion when it's at its best, and that is yeah. the development of desire and the pay, and, and attention to the deepest part of our lives and the and the desires that are developed there, and and then so much of religion and so much of political and economic ideology is all about words. It's all about human constructs. In fact, when people use the phrase deconstruction. What that really means is I want to start examining 
my human constructions. I want to be able to take apart my human constructions. And some of those are religious, some are economic, some are political, some are professional, educational. I mean, all that we have a lot of these human constructions. And so in chapter, in chapter 23, I wanted to talk about the need for us to be exposed to the reality beyond our language, which is Mm -hmm. the wild and natural world. I love that chapter. Well, I'm so glad it it feels deeply important to me. And also because since so much of religion is language, and here I'm writing a book of over a hundred thousand words with language, the thing I know after years of dealing with religious words is that words cannot solve the problem of words. (laughs) And, and we need some reality larger and bigger than our words. So that's where that chapter came from. And then the next chapter is called find the flow. And I'm trying to help people to look at the, to widen the time frame, which is something I do in several different sections of the book and to think in the larger time frame, and to think about not just my own individual human development, but think about the whole development of the human species. And anyhow, it goes on from there. But, um, yeah. but the, those are the, to me, as I began to try to grapple with this more deeply, th- these are the the directions we need to go in, whether it's inside the Christian faith officially or, or not. Uh, I think we can do some good uh, either way. Yeah, and speak, speaking of the the rewild chapter, um, I, I loved how you're. I mean, from my perspective, growing up in a kind of a conservative church, we, we didn't talk about nature. Yeah. much, you know, as far as like ecological um, yeah. care and things like that. I like how you're pulling it back to the importance of getting out in the, into nature and yeah. and it, like hearing what nature has to say to us. And it honestly, it made me really think, uh, I had the opportunity last week to um, uh, go to a, a presentation by John Philip Newell mm. yes, here in I, town. I, I and I, yeah. I got to meet him and uh, the things that you're saying, I'm like, this sounds a lot like the Celtic spirituality that he yes. talks about. Yes. Is there any, any kind of connection there? Yeah. In fact, you know, my, my, uh, John Philip is, is a friend and, and my dear friend, Richard Rohr, uh, mm-hmm. often, often speaks of alternative orthodoxy. And in other words, we've mm-hmm. had this religion going on that argues about who has the correct beliefs and is very big on power and, and policing beliefs. But there's always been this alternative strain, and it often operates at the margins. And Celtic Christianity was an example of that. And John Philip has really dug deeply into that world and is helping make it available. And of course, Richard comes from the Franciscan tradition, and St. Francis and Claire and uh, St. Bonaventure and others really draw from that uh, tradition. And there there are several others of these traditions in the Christian faith. And, And there are many of these kinds of resources in indigenous communities who've always lived close to nature. They've never developed this, uh, this mm-hmm. s- deep separation from nature. And I think we're, I just think it's, it's an inescapable fact. If this species is going to survive, uh, we have to figure out how to live with the earth, uh, uh, again. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's a little bit like what you were saying before, Steve, we were this sort of ghost in a machine model. Our soul mattered and heaven mattered and the earth didn't matter. And mm-hmm. the, the earth was just stuff to use for our, our economy. And, uh, and, oh, we can't live that way anymore. Uh, it's a matter of survival, but I also think it's a matter of spirituality. Yeah, one of the things that John uh, Philip said was, the church doesn't need to be resuscitated, but resurrected. 
I yes. thought of that when I was reading the, your reconsecrate everything yes, chapter. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, and one of the things I say there is there isn't, uh, I quote Annie Leonard who said, there is no away. You can't just throw things away. You either have to figure out a way to recycle them or you have to find a way to actually sequester them and let people know they're there. Like if you have a toxic waste dump, you can't just bury it under a playground because it'll hurt a lot of people. If you're going to bury it, you got to put up a fence and a sign <laughs> and let people know what's there mm-hmm. and why. And, and, uh, and, 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 you know, in all the arguments that we're having about statues, it's very much like this. <laughs> Do we keep a statue up of a person who did terrible things as a way of having a sign that says, here are the terrible things this person did and what we've learned from them? Or is it no explanation, which allows us to continue to celebrate those terrible things. And so huh. we're, we're dealing with these, these realities in our culture in the headlines day after day uh, mm-hmm. today. We've got to figure out what we do with everything that exists, including our opponents and enemies. And, uh, and that, uh, that's not easy, but I think it's a reality we have to face. I that points also just to there's this very Christ-like uh, change mechanism that you talk about. Yes. I think the, the most hope that I felt was when you started to point to the little minority groups here and there, when Rome uh, is making a yeah. deal with Christianity, when, uh, when, when popes are sending crusaders off to kill people, yeah. where were the people who, who were, you know, maybe excluded, but, but who were yes. keeping this strain alive? Yes. And and man, I want to be not the crusader. I want to, be, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I want I want to be that, and uh, even just like keeping my eyes open for, man, where where are those people that are yeah. that are moving and that are doing that? Um, um, Nate, it really makes me happy to hear that you, you felt that way. As I wrote the book, I think I came to terms with this more because I was I. You know, I do a couple little surveys of Christian history uh, in different ways in the book. And I, I think to myself, if I had lived in the 1600s when witch trials were spreading across Europe and, and some in North America, too. I would have pointed to a couple of my neighbors. I would have been like, I'm pretty sure she's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's a bad guy. And, and then I think to myself, if I had spoken up about this. I probably wouldn't have fixed it. And I might've even gotten myself in trouble, but Mm. would I like to be the person who played it safe or would I like to be the person who found a way to try to do what was right? And if I'd lived in America, I just have been doing ancestry.com. So I've been tracing back my Mm. ancestors and man, I found out I have ancestors who go way, way back in American history. And I think to myself, if, if what would I do, I wish I would have done. And that's and even if it hadn't won, right? Like if you had cared about slavery in 1710, you're still 150 years away from the Civil War. So you're not going to fix it in your lifetime. Yeah. But how would I have wanted to live live in my lifetime? And that helps me because if I take on the burden of fixing everything, I just know it can't be fixed that fast. But if I'm overwhelmed, then I give up and things get worse. And I don't play any positive role. So how do I thread that needle and find a way to say, I, I don't have the power in myself to fix this. 
I do have the power to decide how I want to live as a human being in this moment. And, and that to me is, oh, I like that feels heroic. That feels noble. That feels liberating when I'm given that opportunity. And I, I, I do have that opportunity. It's just that a whole lot of people have told me that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, wow. a, that's a good way to end things that that's, that it kind of sums up a lot of things is you could stay a Christian, you could not. And I love how you even end the book saying, you know, you're going to be my friend either way. You know, mm-hmm. if you didn't, if you did, do something, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't just sit around and wait for it to happen. Do something. So thank you so much. Well, I, can I just, can I say thanks so much for having me and thank you for the good work you're doing by hosting conversations like these and, and being public and open about your own journey. That's, uh, it's one of the things that's making a difference and I'm honored to uh, be invited to be with you. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Will do. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Once again, the book is Do I Stay Christian by Brian McLaren, and it just was released May 24th, so go grab yourself a copy. And, you know, you might consider ordering this from a local bookshop or even better yet, one of the many black-owned bookstores around the country. I'll throw a link in the show notes for those as well. See you later. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you got something out of the episode today. Check the show notes in your podcast app for all the links and references that were made, or you can find it all at followingthefire.com. If you'd like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash followingthefire to become a patron. And of course, we'd love it if you rate the podcast and share it with others. See you later. And I'll give you all my heart. Don't you know it's all I have? Even on my heart Can't compare with what you're worth I have been running Almost all my life But you, you always chase me down